Hello, and welcome to Behind the Buyouts, the deals podcast, where we sit down with a leading private markets investor and drill down into their buyouts and venture capital deals. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. I'm Steve Jelsey, senior private equity reporter for The Deal and the host of this podcast. We're excited to kick off our first podcast with a special guest, Colin Steen. Colin is managing director at Syngenta Ventures. Welcome, Colin. Hey, thanks, Steve. Uh, Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the discussion today. Well, we're planning to cover a good bit of ground today um, as the food sector comes into focus amid the COVID-19 pandemic. From an M&A and private equity standpoint, another big story in the food world is the success of Beyond Meat and the prospects for meat substitutes with help from private capital. But before we get to all that, Colin, tell us how you got interested in your line of work. Uh, You don't come from Wall Street or Silicon Valley, so how did you end up in the venture capital world early on? Yeah, no, thanks, Steve. Uh, Good question. Yeah, I definitely came from the opposite, uh, uh, almost 180 degrees opposite of Wall Street. Grew up small grain and cattle farm in a town of 200 people in in, uh, northern Saskatchewan in Canada. So, you know, been in agriculture and the food industry my entire life. Been with Syngenta now 25 years running a variety of businesses and and, you know, had two separate sort of forays into the VC world through my career. One was uh, in 2006, where I was a manager in, in the U.S. and had an opportunity to, to broaden my career experience out and put some of the, the past uh, work I've done into play. And, and Syngenta was a limited partnership investment in a, in a fund called Life Science Partners BioVentures uh, that would be based out of Boston. And part of the arrangement was that uh, Syngenta would contribute a couple people to the team to work out in Boston. And so they wanted a, a heavy R&D, you know, a PhD level person to assess technical due diligence deals. And they're also looking for somebody with a little more practical business experience understanding of the ag and food value chain to come in and uh, offer that aspect to the, the leadership of the fund. So I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to move out to Boston and be a part of that from 06 to 09. Use that to that experience to come back into the main business, run some commercial units, uh, run our seeds business in the Midwest. And then in 2018, was was blessed with the chance to get back into venture capital again and, and uh, rejoin the ventures team. And and March of 2019 took over leadership of the of the group. So, you know, it had a couple cracks at it now. And, and you know, definitely this second time around was driven a lot by the experiences and, and the, the people and the networks uh, that I gained uh, from 06 to 09. So excited to be back in it again. And, and safe to say a lot has changed. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of need for capital in the agricultural sector but a lot of venture capital firms and a lot of private equity firms don't really have much skin in the game in that part of the country. You sort of think of yourself as the voice of the farmer of venture capital investing. Uh, is that a good thing to do? Do you think there's a, that's kind of a rare voice nowadays? Yeah, it's, it, there, there's not many of us that have that experience, right? There's a lot of folks that are, are in venture capital and in ag tech and food tech that are you know, incredibly smart people, right? Uh, been investment bankers, been in private equity uh, their entire career, you know, Harvard MBAs and so on. But there's there's not many folks that can honestly look in the mirror and say, okay, I, I know how to get to Kearney, Nebraska, and I know how to, to get in touch with a 4,000-acre corn farmer to understand their challenges and their, what they're facing out in the farm. And, I, you know, I think it helps us uh, when you have folks in in private equity, especially in the ag and food tech space, that that know and understand, you know what what farmers are going through, that it's 
sometimes not a productivity issue. It's a profitability issue, right? You know, coming up with solutions that help them get more yield sometimes isn't the right solution they're looking for, right? They've got labor issues. They've got profitability, you know, they're, they're underwater on their, on their balance sheet. So this understanding and bringing that understanding to investing, I think helps our team make better decisions and, and make decisions that not only help, you know, we're corporate venture capital. So, you know, we, we got to look out for our parent and our, our sole LP at Syngenta, but we also got to look out for, you know, for the people that we're doing these that, you know, are going to be the customers, of the deals that we're doing and, and make sure that there's a market and there's a need for the, the solutions we're investing in. It's kind of interesting how you got into the business back in 2006. You said Syngenta was an institutional investor in another private equity firm in Boston. So you went over to Boston to work with a private equity firm. So you've kind of been on both sides. You've been an LP and you've been a GP. Looking back from 2006, what has changed the most about the profession? Uh, talk about the biggest change in the deal-making landscape, say, between when you started and now. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. It's, it's really night and day, you know, in, in 06, when we first started out in Boston, Syngenta, the, the, the LSP bio ventures fund was really the only game in town. It was, it was the only ag and food tech investor that was solely dedicated at ag and food tech out there. There was some, there was the odd firm yeah, that was a life sciences investment private equity firm that would dabble in agricultural investing, but there wasn't anybody that you could say, boy, this is all they do is, you know, up, invest up and down the ag and food value chain. So, so the deal flow was really pretty scant back then. Right. And, and it was driven a, to a great extent by the fact that you, know, you still had, you know, at that time, the big six or seven ag you know, ag input companies, and then, you know, also, the, you know, power sort of consolidated, you know, all the R&D work in the industry was being done by them. And then as time has gone on, and th- those companies have merged, you know, it's left this gap in R&D that actually has really created room for the startup landscape to get going. And so, you know, I, I often tell the stories that we, we just, we didn't have our, our deal flow, I think, in, in two and a half or three years at, out of Boston, we saw about 275 companies, which, you know, is a good amount, but, you know, our team now would see 275 companies in, in probably less than a year, year's time. It's just, there's so much more. And the, the breadth and depth of companies is so much better now than it was then. We looked a lot at biofuels deals. We looked at a lot at cellulosic ethanol food deals. We looked at things that were a little further downstream, closer to consumer and it was it was really tough to find good deal flow at the time. And now you know we've got startup rich areas like San Francisco and and Boston and Research Triangle Park and places like Des Moines, Iowa and Fargo, North Dakota and Minneapolis and Chicago where where there's startups everywhere. You know, all solving really important problems for the farmer and all solving really important problems for the food and egg industry overall. Can you give us a little bit more color about Syngenta Ventures in terms of its role as a corporate VC. There's sort of two different venture capital uh, animals out there. There's a corporate VC firms like Intel has one and a bunch of other companies have one. And then there's standalone venture capital firms. You're sort of both there, but you're definitely corporate, but you do some of the work that a regular venture capital firm would do. 
Yeah, the team has worked really hard to earn the reputation of being an investor that that has a, has been able to balance the needs of the corporate side of venture capital. You know, it's called corporate venture capital for a reason. There is a corporate aspect to it. We have to have to keep in mind the strategic benefits of this fund. But at the same time, too, we recognize we're going to be co-investing with with people that don't want to be, you know, they, they don't want to be parties to term sheets that have really restrictive terms like rights of first refusal or, you know, things like that. So they, they, you know, for us to be able to get into the best deals and get into the deals that have the most applicability back to the corporate parent and back, you know, give us the best strategic return and ultimately the best financial return, we have to behave a lot more like a traditional VC firm. And our term sheets, our term sheets look no different than those of, you know, Cultivian Sandbox or, S2G ventures or folks like that who play in this this business. And, and again, that that approach gets us invited in and gets us around the table to be part of some of the, the really, really good deals out there. So you're not necessarily going to be doing this and then Syngenta is going to buy the company, whatever you invest in. Syngenta is playing, it's, it's playing with others in the sandbox, right? It, yes, absolutely. It, it certainly is. And you know, we have made, of, of all the deals going back to the experience with uh, as being the LP, in, in Boston with Life Science Partners BioVentures, we've, we've acquired one company out of, you know, the roughly probably 45 investments that we've made. And that acquisition made a lot of sense at the time and still does today. You know, it was a strategically important area. It was a seed treatment product, a, a biological product that was attacking a pest that was very prominent in the Midwest, the soybean cyst nematode. So it made a lot of sense. It was the only one in the, in the, in the game out there at the time. And so that was a, the right acquisition, but I would say we, we generally don't go into these investments saying, look, uh, if all goes according to plan, we'll be buying this business six years from now. I think the, for us, really, it comes down to how can we help our R&D teams, our commercial teams learn about a new space, whether it's an electronic marketplace or whether it's a, a new distribution chain or how can we maybe get a collaboration with a new small molecule discovery company or, or perhaps what's happening downstream with, with regards to consumer demand for alternative proteins or things like that. So there's, you know, for us, we, we try to extract that strategic benefit in ways that are, are greater than just the acquisition. So what would be a good deal that would illustrate what your firm does? Basically a poster child for Syngenta Ventures. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question. I think a, a great deal for us is one that does a couple things. Uh, and, you know, we can get into specifics later, but, you know, yeah. there's, I think it, it alerts us to a change that's coming in the industry. It allows us to perhaps get a, a collaboration in place that allows us to be part of that change. And then eventually... When, when the dust all settles, it, it, you know, we're on the front line and we were riding the curve of the change ahead of our, our competitors because of being in that deal. You know, I, I specifically, I look to, you know, a deal we made in Latin America a few years ago, called, a company called Agrify. You know, it's an e-marketplace for agriculture in, in Argentina and Brazil. You know, it was, this was right around the time Farmers Business Network was going in the U.S. This was a little more channel-friendly approach. It was important for us to, to kind of understand, okay, where is this thing going? You know, where, how real is this electronic marketplace? Uh, you know, agriculture has always been a little slower to adopt in some of these areas. So we wanted to kind of get a look from the inside. You know, we sit as a board observer 
it's led to us partnering with them in Argentina and, and being part of their marketplace in Argentina as a company. And as a result, we're, you know, it's, it's helping us in some areas maintain share and other areas grow share depending on the, uh, the product line. But it's, you know, at, when the dust is settled, we would look back and say, wow, it's a good, it's a good thing we were involved with this company four or five years ago because uh, playing catch up would be a difficult uh, negotiation right now. And we were talking earlier about Ninja Cart. Uh, is that another one yes. out of India? You're, you're, you're doing some very international deals. You, you were talking about India and Israel as good places for deals for you right now. Yeah, we've, uh, you know, we have, we have a global team. We've got folks in the U.S. and some in Switzerland as well. And in uh, late 2018, we did a deal in India called Ninja Cart, which is, again, a, a little bit on this e-marketplace side, but, but actually quite disruptive in terms of how distribution of the vegetables from the farm gate to the the ultimate consumer in in the major cities in in India works and you know in the past you know the the farmer the the smallholder farm has you know they harvest their vegetables they load them up in the truck they take them in they meet with a middleman who then meets with another middleman and and you know at the end of the day it's 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 a lose 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 around down up and down the way the the farmer isn't getting the best price for the produce you know, the, the ultimate consumer is getting produce that is passed through three or four sets of hands and it's not as fresh and as good as they should be. So what, what Ninja Cart did was basically they go to the farm and they buy that veg produce right off the farm gate. They pay the farmer immediately for it. So now the farmer has cash flow to go put into their next crop. They take and, and move that produce into a large distribution center where the retailers, the, the small little groceries and, and shop owners come in and purchase it. And then it's basically on their shelves the next day for the consumer. So the consumer has a better product. The farmer has a better experience, cash in their hands. And, you know, everyone's making a little bit more money than they were in the past. And so, you know, for us, this was, again, it's a disruptive uh, investment in India where it's a business that's really important to us for our growth strategy as a company overall gives us a way to see where, the market's heading and, and Walmart just invested with us in this last round as well. So you know, I think that company has been validated very strongly by some external partners that are coming in and investing right now. Then in late 2019, we invested in a couple different companies actually closed on two investments in Israel in December, 2019. And Israel's proven just to be a, a massive hotbed of ag tech innovation. You know, it's, I think everyone that is familiar in the private equity space knows how how much Israel contributes to, uh, you know, punches above their body weight, for lack of a better term, in terms of deal flow and in terms of quality of deals. And it's no different in ag tech. And in fact, I would argue it's it's probably even more visible in ag tech than in food tech than other areas. And we invested in two companies, one GreenEye, which is, uh, you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence technology that helps helps farmers spray less pesticides in their fields, up to 70, 80% less pesticides in their fields. Wow. And another one was weed out, which is a biological herbicide being developed. So it's using sterile pollen to uh, to start to you know reduce the numbers of resistant weeds that are uh, growing in fields. So it's really unique technologies. Early stage uh, weed out is definitely very early stage seed stage investment. But you know it's it's just fun to kind of was that a pond that it was a seed stage investment in in, in a company that makes. <laughs> Company makes uh, materials that keep seeds from growing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, it's but it, it, it's it's funny you say that, Steve, because this is when when I go out and talk to people, they're like, "Well, why does Syngenta want to invest in something that 
you know, prevents the sale of your products, right? And it's like, well, hey, this is all about understanding the disruptive nature of what's coming and and how it's going to affect their business. And, you know, at some point, somebody's going to get this stuff figured out and we better be on the inside of it, understanding it as opposed to uh, uh, letting it happen to us, right? So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy times, that's for sure. And isn't Israel a leader also in some of the tissue generation or the protein generation? They are. Technology. Yeah, they are. In other words, they grow, they're growing meat in a lab, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of the cultured meat work that's, that's still, you know, really early stage, right? That is, uh, you know, still highly expensive to produce. But, you know, a lot of that is getting its start in Israel. And, and so we've been looking uh, over there as well at, at that area. Uh, and trying to learn more what's happening there. So pick out a deal that didn't go well, but you learned a lot from, or a type of deal that you learned a lot from that may have may not have gone as as planned. Yeah, it's. Uh, I would love to be able to tell you there, there's nothing that comes to mind, Steve. But yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's. It's. Uh, I think for us the 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 pattern that we're trying to avoid based on some things that haven't gone well, and I won't I won't use any names here, but has been when. When we when we come in late into an investment, you know, at a later stage, the the valuation is high. You know, our three or four million dollars, you know, gets us a, a little bit of a line on the cap table, but it's you know we fall under the category. We're not a major investor. You know, maybe we have one or two percent on the cap table. We don't even have a board observer seat or board director seat as a result. And those sort of situations tend to go badly for us, and they it's. It's the unfortunately the history keeps repeating itself, or certainly is rhyming, as you uh, as you think back about what's happened. And you know, I think for us, those are the deals where you know you, you don't have a visibility to the issues that are going on. We don't have the opportunity to to stick your hand up in the boardroom and say, "Hey, wait a minute, that seems like a path that might be troublesome." Or have we thought about this? I can make an introduction here, or you know, try to help in a, some way as. And instead, you get the, you know, this sort of panicked email from the CFO saying, "Hey, look, we're cash outs in seven weeks. You know, here's the term sheet. It's pretty punitive terms for anybody who doesn't participate. And uh, you know, here, let let us know what you think, right? And that those things just never seem to go well, right? And you know, then now you're you're left sitting there going, I don't really particularly agree with the strategic direction of the firm." If I don't invest, I'm crammed down to common. If I do invest, I'm I'm probably just endorsing a strategy I don't believe in. So it, the choices aren't real great in those scenarios. And unfortunately, over the last two or three years, we've we've had you know a small handful of those those, and it's that same pattern uh, that that develops into that regard. Okay, good to know. So beyond meat, I mentioned earlier, but even more germane right now is the COVID-19 crisis. How has that affected the food sector? Where, Of course, we've seen some farmers having to destroy their crops and some of the meat production has been disrupted. Are you taking a look yeah. at any of these types of trends and how is this impacting your work? You know, we talk about it on our team calls and, and internally a lot. You know, look at, at the very... At, you know, at the very core of it all, if farmers aren't doing well and they're having to plow crops under or euthanize livestock, that's not good for our business, right? That's that's not good for Syngenta. If farmers aren't doing well, we're not doing well. You know, and then there's the broader mandate of just, boy, that's just not right when you got people hungry in the world and, and we're having to plow under crops. So, I, you know, we, we've looked at a couple deals in the last month that that are, I think, on the early stages of addressing some of these supply chain issues 
and trying to create a little more efficient marketplace. Uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, this the COVID nineteen crisis and pandemic is has exposed all of the ugliness of our supply chain, right, and all the warts it yeah. has and all the things yeah. that don't work. And yeah. you know, you you get these chicken barns that are that operate on the truck comes and picks up the chickens when they're ready to go and you know you get a day or two to clean the barn and then the next truck drops off the next batch of chicks that are ready to be to fed up and and grow out now if all of a sudden overnight 40 percent of or 60 percent of your demand disappears because you're geared to send it all the universities and schools and airlines and restaurants and it, it you just can't re-gear your supply chain in a in a few days right and so i think often these these pandemics and crises that we've been through in the past bear out really good innovation and i have to believe steve that we're going to see some some tremendous innovation and in supply chain utilization and creating of some marketplaces that help people move volumes of product to new parts of the supply chain they weren't considering before whether it's to food banks or to to you know, just as simple to Walmart's uh, distribution system or what have you, right? You know, so we're we're excited about what will spill out of this, and and sad for where the where we're at right now. But I think, you know, out of all these these troubles, there'll be some real innovation born out of the the process here. So your firm tends to do seed stage to Series C or or D. You invest up to five million dollars at a time, and you do follow on sometimes. Um, you do partner in a fund of funds. So you do a lot of different things. Is there anything you'd like to point out as we wrap up the, the conversation here that people should know about private equity or people should know about Syngenta that they may not know? Yeah, no, thanks, Steve. Great question. Yeah, we, you know, we, we, uh, I think people, maybe what they underestimate first about private equity is just how much and how hard people work after the deal is done. I know that, that for me, when I first started in 2006 and, and then, you know, reminded quickly again in 2018 when I rejoined the team was that obviously there's this uh, sort of high that you get off of closing a deal, right? It's, it's awesome to get the deal closed, the paper signed, the money wired. And then, then what you quickly realize about one minute after that is that the real work just starts, right? It's the, the boardroom. And I think people miss, uh, underestimate just how vested the private equity professionals are in the success of these firms and, and not vested financially, but just vested emotionally invested blood, sweat and tears right, right alongside of the leadership teams of these companies. We all work really hard on long hours and, and evenings and weekends with the CEOs and CFOs and chief marketing officers, all trying to help them be successful and make the right introductions and pave the path to success for the firm. You know, and then I, I think, you know, when, when people think about Syngenta, I think, it would be easy to go, well, that's a, that's a seed and crop protection company, right? You know, what, what, what's the innovation that can happen there? I think, you know, our CEO has done a great job of saying, look, Syngenta is going to play a major role in helping address the climate change issue. We're going to do things from a sustainability of ag standpoint that are going to allow farmers to be profitable. We're, we're going to help incentivize farming practices that, that reduce the farm's carbon footprint and increase the amount of carbon sequestered in the soil, which is important for the, the world and, and for other businesses that are buying those carbon credits. You know, So I, I think people would be surprised to hear how much Syngenta really has a view to this bigger picture, right? And, and I think ag and food in general you know, often people say, well, those are, you know, those, those, that 10,000 acre farm in Nebraska or that large vineyard in California or, 
the turkey farm in Minnesota, they're all, it's factory farms. And, you know, the reality is all these folks have as much eye on sustainability as, as any of us do, right? They, their, their future is made by being, making sure there's land and animals there for the future. And if they're not stewards of their own land and stewards of their, their livestock, they, they don't get a chance to, to have another shot at this thing. It's, it's not like selling, you know, consumer product goods where, you know, our family buys, CPG products every week at the target down the road. It's, you know, farmers get 35 shots on goal usually in a lifetime, right? Once, you know, 35 mm. different crops are growing. 35 and crops, so, 35 seasons. You know, exactly. So they, you know, they, they can't afford to, to not be sustainable. They, they, they have to make the most of it while they can, and they have to make sure that lands there uh, for year 35. And, and hopefully if they pass it down to a future generation, it's still around for them as well. Well, Colin, thanks again for taking the time to talk to us today. It was very interesting. Food is something that touches everybody, and it's something that we need more of. So thank you for your work in that department. Yeah, no, thanks, Steve. I, I really appreciate the chance to talk about it today with you, and uh, excited, uh, excited for the future of food and ag, that's for sure. Okay, Colin Steen, Managing Director at Syngenta Ventures, thanks again for joining us. This is Steve Jelsey with The Deal, signing off with Behind the Buyouts.